Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. <laughs> We're back. Well, sort of. We have a, a mini tennis podcast for you right now, uh, live, so to speak. Catherine Whitaker and myself here. Catherine, how are you doing? Very well, thanks. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. Uh, brought to you in association with The Telegraph. And we're going to have a little catch-up about what's been going on, because loads has been going on. And then we've got the second part of our listener question special um, that we told you about last week that we were going to carry on with until the the full-on tennis starts up again. Uh, we had loads of subjects to get into at Wimbledon with Matt and Catherine, so that's what we'll be doing. And I also mentioned last week about the passing of Peter McNamara, and Catherine and I both wanted to to speak about him and, and share some, some personal memories and, and pay some tribute of our own uh, to him, um, which we'll do in a few minutes' time. But, uh, Catherine, you have been uh, keeping a BDI on tennis, as I have, whilst you've been in Guernsey. Guernsey looks nice. Yeah, I feel like I could uh, work for the Guernsey Tourist Board. I'm a big fan. Hashtag love Guernsey, <laughs> apparently. Is, is Yeah, you're hanging out on boats. You, you've been with dogs. You've been with dolphins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if I've had a representative experience of Guernsey or whether I am I am living about as high a life as Guernsey can offer um, with the... <laughs> A good, well, a mutual friend of ours uh, in Guernsey uh, laid on a, a wonderful, wonderful time, including a pod of about 80 dolphins. I didn't get the invite. And the opportunity to drive a boat, not sail a Is boat. We- it was a it was a rib, so not a not not a boat that, you know, my dad would sail across the Pacific, but a, a blooming fun boat. Right. OK, so you did get on a, a boat, just not the boat. So we don't know, we don't know whether you make the cut yet. Yeah, but I learned how to do knots uh, and various things with ropes, stowing and and tie, tying. Uh, <laughs> and I'm running out of lingo. So if you're listening, uh, David Whitaker, I, I learned how to do five different knots. Right. Okay. Well, I'd have thought that that's probably enough to get on the boat. Uh, right. Okay. So there's our. Uh, that's what Catherine's been doing. I've been rock climbing today with my kids, and I was rubbish at it, um, and uh, everything hurts. But apart from that, um, we've been watching tennis, and lots has happened, as I mentioned, in- including the split of Alexander Zverev and Ivan Lendl, which has. I mean, 
I guess you could well, you could say it's been coming in as much as his results have been pretty rubbish by his standards and what certainly what we expected. He's under-delivered at all the slams since they got together. He's had some really poor results on the whole I, I think since certainly since the O2 when obviously that that is the high point and Lendl has been notable mainly by his absence for, from many of the tournaments that certainly the big tournaments that you would expect him to be at and it just has felt he's felt disengaged from it all it hasn't been working but still I think when we talked about it at the start of the year, I expected them to get through to the end of the year. Um, and I thought that they would probably find a way to turn this around, but no. Yeah, I mean, the 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 way it's all gone down with Lendl and the sort of the, the staggering limp towards the inevitable breakup, I, I rather suspect that there's an awful lot that's that's gone on behind the scenes that we don't know about and might never know about. We already know there is, in general, a lot going on behind the scenes with Zverev and he's being, maybe not in terms of the, the nitty-gritty detail, but in terms of the big picture stuff, he's being pretty open about it. And I, it makes me wonder if, you know, the Lendl stuff is caught up in all of that because it sounds like, realistically, he's not been having input for meaningful input for a long time. I mean, he, he made the quarterfinals of the French. That was his standout result of the year. And Lendl wasn't there, apparently, because of hay fever. I mean, it was a laughable, laughable situation. So I'm sort of, I'm relieved for, for Zverev. I think it's a, a shame. I think it raises all sorts of questions. Matt's question, which he raised at the time of the appointment, which was, has he hit the Lendl button too early I think that suddenly becomes valid again you know where do you go now now that Lendl hasn't worked where do you go um and yeah I mean the the week started in um in Hamburg with with quotes coming out from Zverev about him being displeased about the amount of time Lendl was spending with his new dog when he should have been on the practice court um so yeah, to, uh, to, uh, not just writing on the wall. I mean, writing sort of on the carpets, ceiling, curtains, writing yeah, everywhere, and, and talking talking behind each other's back, effectively through through the media. In Zverev's case, much as we love it, it's not exactly a recipe for for a harmonious future. Um, I just, I feel as though he needs a proper reboot, and and I think he's. It's interesting in last week's show, Matt was talking about how Muguruza still carries herself as the player she was a couple of years ago when she'd won two Grand Slams and she strides about the court as if she owns it, and which is great on one level to have that sort of presence. And I think that Zverev seems to sway between these vast extremes of, of looking overly entitled to, to have success and, and carrying himself like a champion, which on the Grand Slam stage he just isn't and then at other times looking forlorn and lost and I feel I end up feeling quite sorry for him um and I don't really know what to think about him because I don't I don't naturally warm to him and his game I, I don't find it enormously pleasing to, to just as a viewing experience and then there, there are other times when I really do warm to him and I see his vulnerability and I and I'll see him as he did the other day, be six, two, five, three down and find something and just engage with the crowd and, and, and turn it around. And you know, it is, there's something in there that is better than just certainly what he's been putting out for the last six months. Um, I, I hope it ends up being a, a good 
feel-good story once he sorts himself out. But I think it needs to come from within rather than just this expectation that somebody's going to come in and push some button. Um, but who that's going to be, no idea. He's still Bookie's fav- fourth favourite for the US Open, which mm. says more about well. other things than it does about Sasha Zverev. I also, I'm not, I'm not sure how closely they're paying attention, to be quite <laughs> honest, because that's nonsense. Well, he's, um, well, no, no, we're not going to fall down that rabbit hole. Yeah, I know what you're going to say, uh, but I'm, <laughs> yeah. we won't go into it here. We haven't got time. Um, so Andy Murray is in Washington about to play mixed, well, not mixed, I'm, I'm in mixed doubles land. Uh, he's going to play doubles with his brother, Jamie, in Washington, which I I found quite a nice, pleasant surprise because I came out of Win- Wimbledon wondering whether we we would actually see him that much this summer. Um, just I, I wonder whether he might just sort of take himself away and, and kind of be done with doubles for, for the time being. Uh, um, you know, and 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 clearly not. And and he said when he announced that, that he's going to play with Jamie that he wants to, he's looking forward to it, and he wants to get out in the singles court as well, and he really wants to build. So I, I'm really quite quite chuffed to see that he's going to play. Yeah, me too. Exactly the same response. Chuffed and surprised. I I suspect, and stuff that's been coming out on social media today from Washington, I suspect it also has a lot to do with the fact that being on tour being at these events gives him practice partners uh, in singles. He was out there hitting with Dennis Kudler today, um, I believe in singles on the practice court. And that's what he needs. He needs, yeah. It, well, a, he, he needs that match practice if he's ever going to, to, to make it back in singles and B, he needs the data, the data of playing top level singles to know if it's achievable or to know, what will be required if it is to be achievable so I I rather suspect you know as good as the facilities are that are available to him here at home you know what's not available to him is is top 50 top 100 tennis players and and that's that's what he needs and also he gets to play doubles with his brother I'm not sure what Neil Skubsky is up to this week (laughs) watching on the telly not sure. I haven't seen whether he's in the draw or not, to be honest. He's or not whether in he's the draw. In a draw. He's not. Okay, he's not in that one anyway. Um, the the other element to it is, I agree with you about the data. I also feel like he, he's got to just give this one big go, I would have thought. This is about seeing whether it's doable or not. So he may as well throw himself into it. Um, and, and if it's not going to happen, it's not going to happen, you know, but there's no point in just pacing yourself forever you've got to build this thing so i think he's doing the right thing overall as as much as of a wrench as it probably is to sort of go back out on the road again you know when he's got his family and all the rest of it um you're going to be in montreal uh, in a week's time Catherine. you're going to be there for amazon prime video in the uk uh, presenting the coverage from there somebody who's not going to be there is novak Djokovic, who's announced that he's joining federer by skipping that um, this time round, and and actually, I think increasingly we're just seeing this with Djokovic, aren't we? He is he is playing where he needs to play to recharge the batteries and maximise his chances of closing this gap. Because since Wimbledon, it's just kept reoccurring to me what an incredible moment we've just witnessed in the history of tennis that Roger Federer did not take those two match points and finds himself four slams ahead of Djokovic rather than six slams ahead. I mean, what an incredible moment. Yeah, maybe Federer and Djokovic are going on holiday together. 
during module. <laughs> where do you think imagine. they might go? Where would they go? Where Maybe do you on think a boat they would go? Together. Going, going on a boat together. Not in a confined space. At Tennis Podcast, let us know where Federer and Djokovic would holiday <laughs> together. The moon. <laughs> I really can't. I'm going to have to... I'm going to need the moon. I need to put some thought into this. I will <laughs> I will take some time. Yeah, I mean, he's won all the Masters, hasn't he? He completed the Golden Masters last year. He completely proved me wrong at Wimbledon. I, I The fact that he didn't play Queens put some doubt in my mind about his prospects at Wimbledon. And he's, you know, planted egg firmly on my face. So he's a bloke that knows what he's doing with his schedule. Um, and I think, you know, it is tough playing back-to-back Masters is really, really tough. Uh, Madrid and Rome is tough. Cincinnati and uh, Montreal slash Toronto is tough. So, I, it, you know, it's, it's a hard break for the tournament. I realise that. But, um, you know, they've got, Nadal will be you know, sharpening his teeth somewhere for that one. <laughs> he will, uh, as will they all. And and it's it's just such an interesting time for tennis generally. Uh, who who plays where and what the 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 next generation of players are going to do about this situation of just having seen the gap widen rather than um, well, one shrink. of them's one of them's going to play uh, doubles with Nick Kyrgios in Washington this week. Yeah. Stefanos Tsitsipas and Nick Kyrgios finally are getting it together and, and, and kind of meeting, it feels like, for the first time. Rather Since than just the, sort of the famous tweet, the famous now deleted tweet from Nick Kyrgios. Yes, where he took the mick. Yes. Apparently that was the tournament director's suggestion, that doubles partnership. Mm, but further, further adds weight to the, the thesis that uh, doubles is back in fashion. Yes. Well, maybe Djokovic and Federer are going to be doubles practicing doubles together somewhere. Just, just imagine if they just showed up and took a wild card and played doubles and not singles somewhere. <laughs> that would be great, wouldn't it? Yes. Anyway, it's not going to happen. That'd be very 2019. So. Kyrgios played <laughs> just doubles in Atlanta this week. I mean, did he? He did. Yeah. He is different. That much we do know. Um, the uh, a couple of one of the story that's uh, taken my eye just quickly is um, was tweeted by our, our good man Matt Roberts today and Charlie Eccleshare as well with his story on the subject um, which we referenced last week um, from a men's perspective in the, the listener questions um, subject about why there are no openly gay male players um, on the ATP circuit and in stark contrast certainly to the women's circuit and one story that came out today one one just notable draw was that Alison von Oitvank who is an openly gay female tennis player has drawn to play against her partner in the first round of a tournament which uh, we were tra- they were trying to work out Charlie and Matt whether whether that has ever knowingly happened before um and and I think they came up with Tara Moore uh, is, is the only time they can remember it, but certainly a lot of a lot more progress it, it feels has been made on that side on the WTA circuit than, than has been on the ATP. Yeah, well, I, th- I, I mean, I think it's long been a far more accepting place. Um, I, I'm sure progress has been made, but I mean, tennis has been right at the forefront in terms of um, progressiveness uh, on the women's side. So. So, but yeah, that's. I mean, it's it's great. Um, Anastasia, in terms of the women's, Anastasia Savastova won. Um, I think what is 
the first ever WTA Tour event in Latvia. Obviously, our home country today. That's nice, isn't it? Ah, good on it. In Jum- and, uh, Jamala. And, 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 yes. And very sadly, um, Matt looks like he might get his prediction right in the newsletter uh, because he said Taylor Fritz would win. Yeah. Uh, um, where are they at the moment? Is it Atlanta? Atlanta, Georgia. Yes, Atlanta. Um, and he said he would win there. So Catherine and I are keeping a very close eye on the results I mean, I got, uh, of... I got- Taylor Fritz against Alex Dimonor in hope let that down by Dominic Team, didn't I? Yeah, as I, as I was by uh, obviously Victoria Kozmova in um, Palermo, who lost in the oh, second first round. First round lost to someone I've never heard of. Yeah, yeah. so thanks for that, Victoria. Uh, Matt, I'm angry at you again because um, I've never heard of her until you brought her up. Um, Coco but- Goff's just run a, won a round of qualifying in uh, Washington. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, if, this is if, a mini pod. We can't get into is, qualifying. And just to say, if you want to get on the newsletter mailing list, uh, have a look at the the show notes on your phone or your iPad or your computer, whatever you're listening to this on right now. Scroll down. You can click and sign up to our mailing list, and you'll get lots of these rubbish predictions every single week and daily at Slams. What more could you want? Um, so before we move on to our listener questions special part two, this two week special. Mentioned last week about Peter McNamara, who very sadly passed away a week ago. He'd been suffering from prostate cancer for, for many years. And he's somebody that, that I, I had known on the Champions Tour, certainly since I first joined the tennis world. And that's the late 90s. And Peter would have been retired from the main tour by then. But he was he was a regular on the Champions Tour. And I just found him to be the most welcoming of people and never anything other than just friendly and happy to see you and but straightforward you know there was never any falseness to him at all and just he will be so missed by so many people on on the tennis circuit and and I I count myself among those you joined the circuit later Catherine about 10 years later than than I did in in that regard you also worked on the Champions Tour how did you find him? Exactly the same experience. Absolutely no side to him. No, yeah, a a man of great warmth, extremely welcoming, but just um, all the sort of cliched things you'd associate with a (laughs) with a textbook Aussie. Really, just yeah, completely down to earth and no nonsense. Um, I wasn't, you know, I knew about the. The Maccas, McNamara, McNamee, but I didn't know that much about his tennis. I saw, I saw a lot of him play. You know, a lot of a lot of people show up at um, Champions Tour events, Legends events to see Mansoor Barami play, and maybe a lot of them over the years didn't notice that an awful lot of time on the court when Mansoor Barami was doing wonderful, <laughs> wonderful crowd pleasing things. At the other end of the court, it was Peter McNamara, and there was a there was a reason for that. Mansell Brahmi always wanted to to have Macca at the other end of the court. He sort of considered them a, a team, not just Peter McNamara. There are others as well, and um, of course, the more they played with them, the more um, the more they got used to setting him up for his trick shots and all the rest of it. But yeah, a, a man with I mean, I'm sure he I'm sure he did have an ego, but it it wasn't. It wasn't front and centre. And actually, the friend I was staying with uh, in Guernsey, somebody that you and I both got to know on the Champions Tour, she was a a great 
great friend of uh, of Macca's and shared so many stories about him this weekend. And uh, she actually showed me a video that she made four years ago uh, for his 60th birthday where she got all of all of his friends so other other legendary tennis players you know Mansell Brahmi uh, Mark Philippoussis was on there John McEnroe Mats Volander all of them sent in messages for for Macca to tell him how much they they loved him and appreciated him and uh and it was yeah she dug it out for me to have a look at and the you know these were not these were not platitudes it was um it was an incredible incredible depth of feeling there um and he was he was diagnosed 10 years ago um and nobody knew or very very few people knew he wanted it that way not because he was ashamed in any way but because he wanted to keep living and for him that meant keeping working, keeping playing um, and he didn't want to risk losing any of that by by letting people know and I hope that that didn't mean that he ever felt lonely in it. Um, I hope not and I, I don't think so. I think he had just enough important people that knew um, but, uh, you know, watching that video he had an awful lot of people that thought an awful lot of him and it's uh it's a nice thought that that he was able to to see that four years ago on his 60th birthday so um he'll be he'll be hugely missed he will uh, and just on on his playing just just quickly there's a, a line pat cash gave in an atp tour website piece that james Bedell wrote um talking about his tennis and and he said that Peter McNamara was a hero of his, Pat Cash did. He said he bore Boyd for him. And he, and he said he had, in his view, one of the greatest single-handed backhands he's ever seen. Thumped it with incredible power, took it on the rise, great precision. And it's one of those things that it's difficult. You know, there's not that much footage out there that you can instantly go to. But it's well worth going and, and looking that up because, you know, we love great single-handed backhands don't we there are there are video montages made about Stan Wawrinka and Roger Ferrer and people like that that, ha- that have these sort of backhands and uh so you know it's nice to think that the Peters will will be hopefully looked up now um by people yeah. that m- might hear this I looked this it up I looked you? it up yeah um yeah just to, just two final points one memory that's that sprung to my mind I, th- I, I think you were there David it was in the the Players' Lounge at the Albert Hall several years ago. It was when I think he was at the time coaching Grigor Dimitrov and uh, he was just, he was talking about Grigor so fondly and he was also talking about Mark Philippoussis who had coached um, a few years earlier and at a very similar stage in his career and it just just made me think, you know, there's a reason why, there's a reason why blokes like that chose him to be their sort of guiding hand at that stage in in their in their careers, you know, real a real father figure, um, and uh, I, I'm sure both of them are are pretty gutted by this news. And one one final point that uh, that Sarah, who I was staying with this weekend, um, she said uh, she said the one story he would want told about him. Uh, was when uh, a few years ago I'm not sure exactly how many years ago probably quite a few given how long they've been married but um, 
It was the f- he was in the Players' Lounge at the Australian Open, and he clocked Pat Rafter alongside his uh, his lovely wife Lara Rafter, and uh, Macca was so distracted by the sight of Lara Rafter he walked clean into the wall and uh, almost knocked himself out. <laughs> <laughs> Peter, oh, Peter McNamara, ladies and gentlemen. Indeed, and uh, hugely missed by us all and, and very fondly so. So, Catherine and myself will be back with another edition of the regular tennis podcast next week, but we will hand you back in time a couple of weeks ago to when we were taking our listener questions. Um, and they're from you, and we'll, we'll leave you with that and in the company of Catherine, myself and Matt Roberts. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. So, Alex, to be continued, our second consecutive listener question special because we planned to do an entire show full of your questions and answers last week and we got through three questions. Uh, So here we are again, Catherine Whittaker. Hello, Catherine. Hello. Uh, Matt Roberts, hello. Hello. And uh, Alex, surname... Petalas. Yeah. Which I think I've said differently to how I said it last week. <laughs> it was certainly closer than I would have got. Sorry, Alex, if we're wrong. Uh, who is the owner of Rio with a Y, who is our mascot for the 2019 season of the tennis podcast. Lovely canine. A wonderful canine. Uh, and will be... Uh, we'll be kick-starting kick again, crowdfunding again in December. And if you want to have your P 
pet become the tennis podcast mascot for 2020 you'll have your chance but let me tell you you better be quick the last one went in about 10 minutes last year in the kickstarter so uh, anyway we'll we'll see how that goes uh, anyway we have alex as our guest editor of the listener questions special uh, once a year however as we say we didn't get through all the questions we got through three of them um, 17 minutes on Garbini Magarutha I thought was really impressive and so we've got loads more questions to get through today so Matt kick us off so Alex's next question is with Wimbledon having purchased the golf course across Church Road what would your ideal expansion master plan look like how does how does what does Wimbledon look like in in your minds in a in a few years time when they've got that land how detailed do we need to go as detailed as you like we can do whatever we want Catherine you and me I'm not a town planner (laughs) (laughs) what Um, what features have you seen at other slams for instance could they extend Roland Garros into (laughs) the golf club at Wimbledon (laughs) Because that's the one that needs extending. Now, that would be a heck of a big extension <laughs> yeah. across the channel. Um, I mean, look, I'm all for slams creating more space. Um, I, I don't like walking around Grand Slams when they're full of people. and It, it makes me feel really stressed out. Yeah, people. Leave. Um, the US Open isn't like that. Um, but they've got the Australian more space. Open is less like that because they've got more space. But I suspect they'll just let more people in. Well, they will. In I mean, tandem with the having more space, I don't. Well, I hope I'll be wrong. I hope it will feel. I hope it will enable the tournament to breathe a bit more in the way that the uh, the hardcore slams do. My fear is that they'll just let more people in. The, I mean, the big news is that they plan to bring qualifying away from Roehampton on the site. I love qualifying. I know oh, you love great. it. Every, they let dogs in. Everybody loves it who goes, but that's not many people. I know the players don't like it. And but it doesn't make really a lot of sense. Great. It is It is one of the great sites in tennis, the Roehampton qualifying, where you stand, if you stand at the back of the, just the back of the courts and there's literally tennis as far as the eye can see. There's 10 courts tennis going on a, a real it's got a real atmosphere and vibe to it and the fact that it's not at the site of the grand slam that they're aiming to qualifying aiming to qualify for makes it, it the, the rawness of it it's feels almost, exaggerated it's like you have to win here to get to yeah. the kind of promised land kind of thing exactly it is it's a throw, like it is a throwback the yellow brick it? road it is what tennis used to be but <laughs> It's time to change that, I think. Mm. It is. Did I mention that they let dogs in? <laughs> Maybe they'll let dogs in to this new All one. right, well, I'm sold. <laughs> so, I, it's really all I want They've from got all the security dogs, so why wouldn't they? I must say, having been to the French Open and arriving there a few days before the tournament started, I did see the value in having the qualifying on site at the venue because I was watching a... You know, a qualifying match on one of the larger outside courts, and you had probably two thousand people watching this qualifying yeah. match, and it it did sort of break you into the tournament, and it thought, okay, Roland Garros is starting now. People are coming to the venue; they're already interested in Roland Garros, even though the main draw hasn't started. Did and it, it it added to the experience. Do they I let think. people in for free? Mm. To I, 
I don't know about because that's the, a great thing. If if it's free, then yeah, it's great. Cool, right? I and don't uh, know. Look, let, let's be honest. The, the qualifying events at Slams are fantastic. Mm. They they are. If you ever get to go to them, do it because it's a tournament within itself and the, this means the world to these players if they manage to get into the main draw the huge amount of prize money if they get into the main draw loads of points and they have to win three matches it, it's it's an, a, a, a real journey all of its own um, and the tennis is incredible you can get closer up a lot of the time mm. they're starting to stream all these courts aren't they as well now on TV I, I think that they need to make more of these qualifying yeah, event. I agree. I mean the 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 thing that I'm the defining feature of sport that I love is when it matters. Yeah. The more it matters, the more I'm interested in it. It doesn't really matter what the sport is. And qualifying wins matter to those people in them almost as much if not as much as grand slam wins matter to those that are winning grand slams it's it's not for everyone you know in some some qualifying matches will feature i don't know there's any there's the the full gamut of competitors in them but for some of them it is life and death they're trying to to earn enough to sustain them for another year on tour you know for some of them if if i don't qualify for this grand slam I will have to give up being a professional tennis player. It is, it's, it's life and death. It's everything, and that's life and death really all career, I want from certainly. sport. Yeah. That's um, yeah. Can, can I just say as well? Go on, mate. I was just going to say that the story of Wimbledon Week One this year was born out of qualifying. Coco Goff. I mean, she came through qualifying, and it was cool for us. And how cool must it have been if you were there on day one of qualifying to see? Coco Goff start that journey and what she would then go on to do you know it's the, what a great story that is to say oh I saw her in qualifying you'd be one of those irritating early adopters going well I saw her when she was in the first round of qualifying and, and I knew she more. was going to be a really big thing yeah exactly that a very good impersonation I don't know who that was but <laughs> just ge- generic Someone, generic, generic annoying smug human. and annoying generic yeah. irritant okay um can I uh, the, the other things in terms of what we would like to do with the expansion I would like to see... I think it's a fantastic opportunity for Wimbledon to fill in all the the gaps that are currently there in terms of helping create the next generation of, of people that are interested in the sport, to really get kids involved, to do a kids' day. Um, to they, they did the middle Sunday tennis opened up alongside the LTA this year, which was which was nice to see that a proper partnership there and, and some some real forward planning to try to create more interest in the sport. I just feel that this is an opportunity. I don't I don't know whether they'll do that, but it does seem like an opportunity. Well Michael Downey told it I know he's not the uh the chief executive of the LTA anymore and this very well may have changed and maybe a view on this is something we should pursue but I remember Michael Downey telling us that that it, I think I asked him about because then he said it wasn't commensurate with the with the brand of Wimbledon and that made me really sad because this is the only slam that doesn't have a kids day and it's it's a desperate shame because as much as I hate being at them <laughs> I see I see the kids' days at other Grand Slams, and they are so powerful. I, Seeing those, I, I think that they're moving closer to it. 
when I see that middle Sunday event that they had, I, I think that there is... Good, okay. It feels to me anyway, uh, there's certainly obviously huge determination from an LTA British tennis perspective to try to, to move that direction, but Wimbledon obviously has its own, to use that word, brand. But when they've got that much more space... Uh, I, I would be really disappointed as well if that wasn't used and factored in as a way to to create more interest for young people who maybe can't afford to get tickets to this place. I think it will be interesting how they use that space and make it still feel connected to the current site we have. I think it's going to take some interesting architectural and sort of planning to make it feel like part of the same tournament because it is it's quite a way you know it's across the road it's and i think even the new simone mature court at roland garros which by all accounts was a big success and a nice court but it felt like a different tournament when you were over Mm, there because it it was kind of cut off from the rest far away it was far away and you know the good point about it is it was less crowded over there it was a, it was a, it was a haven almost but it did feel like a different tournament didn't and they're going to have to use the space creatively i think to make it still feel like the same yeah. tournament architecturally i have 100% confidence in wimbledon to achieve so everything they need to because all the architectural changes that have been made to this place over the years have just been sublime They've yeah. been 100% success, the they, roof, the courts, everything. Architecturally, they've they done just a great job it. of modernising without you really noticing yeah, what they they've have. done. Yeah, we, yeah. It, it still has the same feel about Wimbledon, and yet if you actually went back and looked at the old facilities, they would be night and day. So I, I agree with Catherine totally there. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll wait and see exactly what, what they prioritise uh, because there will, be a, there will be a need for them to create more hospitality, I'm sure. There'll be all sorts of things like that. But I, I would really hope that they would take this as, a, as an opportunity and run with it. Just to make it a more, more inclusive place. You know, tennis still has a problem with being stiff upper lip, being, being middle, upper middle class sport in this country you know use the space to i'm sure you can't solve all the problems with you know buying a bit of extra golf course space but but make that a goal make that make that a goal of of all of it to to make it just completely achievable for anybody that wants to come to wimbledon to be able to come to wimbledon because it's wonderful and it shouldn't be something that's just open to the elite or people that are able to sack off their AS levels for a week and come and queue, which is what I did. You know, it, that's there are joyful things about all of that, but it's not inclusive, and I want tennis to be inclusive. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I would say, I still don't 100% agree with you about the queue, because you can queue. If you want to come, you can queue. Um circumstances asterisk. can be difficult for people asterisk if your circumstances allow it yeah okay we've we've had this argument <laughs> so we won't waste another 20 minutes of another podcast with it uh, so that's one question done 12 minutes we're doing well <laughs> come on so alex has now chosen a few questions from social media this one from david blanchard who prefaces it with potentially a contentious one 
Aren't they all, David? Has Venus Williams underachieved in her career? He says, no French Open's one thing, considering her style of play, but compared to her Wimbledon and US Open achievements, her Aussie Open is... Her Aussie Open record is a bit average, is it not? Hadn't even occurred to me that Venus Williams might be an underachiever. And and that's that's fine. Um, I, I think you have to bear in mind of... her, her, her longevity for a start. I mean, she played her first professional match in, I think, 1994 when she was 14. Right, it's 25 years ago. That's um, before I was born. Yeah, I mean, it, oh I think it was a single, <laughs> single match. <laughs> oh um, and the first time I really became aware, of, I mean, I'd, heard, I'd read reports about her in the mid 90s when Matt still wasn't born. Um, but I saw her play her first US Open. I think it was her first US Open. And she reached the final of it in her first US Open. It was amazing. It was amazing to witness it and to the the reaction of America and um, and she, I think she lost to Martina Hingis in the final. And I think you have to bear in mind that she was sharing an era at the start there with Martina Hingis and some really you know a very young up and coming Martina Hingis and Monica Seles and and uh, players like Jennifer Capriati and there were some really really good players and then Kim Kleisters and Justine Ennan came along and there was a, and there her was sister a, there, there was a depth and then obviously her sister came along too so there was so many great really really high quality players that that's one um, and uh, she won five Wimbledon's. And she won those a long time ago. She hasn't won a Wimbledon for 10 years. So five Wimbledons in that first, basically, eight years of her career or so. Um, she won a couple of US Opens, and uh, and that's good. And there was Lindsay Davenport as well in that era as well. I, I do think that it's an underachievement for her not to have won an Australian Open I think that that was perfectly set up for her um, she did lose in the final to her sister uh, so again you're running into your sister and then let's not forget she's had some real ill health in the last decade uh, the autoimmune disease that she's suffered from um, other things and, and so forth I think I would have thought she would have won more if you had asked me at the outside of her career. I probably would have expected her to win double figures of slams. Um, but then I didn't think her sister would win 23 of them. So she's taken a lot of the slams that Big Sister, I think, would have won. Yes, I agree with that. And I do just wonder whether... I think her her hunger to be out there and compete and just be on a tennis court is without question but I wonder if her hunger to be at the very top and don- dominate has been tempered by the fact that to do that would be for a, for a large chunk of her career have been displacing her sister not consciously necessarily no, no, but I, subconsciously that, especially because she's the oldest and even in their matches I mean I, I I still I feel a bit sick when I think about the accusations that used to get thrown around when they first played each other about how they people thought oh they're just deciding who wins this week and you win next week I really ha- always hated that at the time and I still hate it now but I do feel that probably Venus Williams and I don't know her but my my sense is that she would have struggled with the 
the ruthlessness to beat her sister that that her sister managed to find the other way and that doesn't mean she loves her any more or any less no, I, I mean it's, I think that's maybe a, a part of I hope math isn't listening <laughs> but maybe the difference between being an older sibling and a young yes, a younger sibling I agree I think that is and significant I'm, and there will be exceptions I'm sure there are people out there listening to this saying well I, I'm it's not of like that in my family of course there are but just but I, as a younger sibling you're used to chasing and aspiring and wanting to be and an older sibling my sense is that you're more used to putting an arm around and nurturing and looking after more yeah. naturally and uh, are you an older sibling or a younger sibling, Matt? I'm a younger sibling. Yeah. Are I'm, we all younger siblings? I'm a younger one and I'm a pain in the ass. <laughs> we're all younger siblings. All That's chasers. why we're all saying yeah. this. We're all chasers. I, I think the, the Venus st- statistic that always jumps out at me is that she only had 11 weeks as number one. But so when you dig into that, the ranking system was different then. And I think she finished number three in 2000 and 2001 despite having won Wimbledon in the US Open both those years and I think I think the ranking system then sort of rewarded much more quantity of events over the quality of the events that you won and she was up against players like as you were saying David those all those players that she had Hingis Capriati who were just playing more than her and so maybe she never got the weeks at number one that sort of she deserved or merited and even though the players saw her as the dominant player I mean John Wertheim wrote that book didn't he Venus Envy it was she was the dominant player at the time and you know I I missed her peak years really but everyone that I speak to now who who watched watched her in the early 2000s and late 90s will say Venus was unbelievable and I put out I put up on Wimbledon during Wimbledon on Twitter I said who are the best movers in WTA history and everyone came back to me Venus Williams at her peak was the best mover she could cover the court in two someone, in someone two said strides. peak Heather Watson someone did say peak Heather Watson which <laughs> I think was a joke um, but she's a good mover but there are levels no, it, was, it, was, it was vintage Heather Watson sorry vintage Heather Watson uh, yeah unspecified what vintage that was so I uh, I feel sort of difficult to comment on Venus having not seen her in in her absolute peak but I do get the sense that maybe she could have won more in those early years but as you said there were so many other good players at that time as well that they were taking titles off each other yeah I mean we we often talk about the depth now and the the ability of players to win at slams but back then there were it felt like that you you basically got six to eight multiple Grand Slam champions and they were all playing pretty much at the same time and uh, and yeah it, it was the only one who was able to stick out head and shoulders above everybody else was Serena Williams but she actually got better as she went along uh, whereas I think Venus had her period and then it, it tailed off through one reason or another and obviously then she had the ill health so did she underachieve uh, I find so it really, I find it really hard to put it in a in a little box like that. I, I, I think feel it's possible that there was a period of her career where she maybe underachieved a bit at the Australian Open, but I think overall, I think given the the Sjogren syndrome, which is a really massive thing, mm. a really really massive thing, it's similar to lupus, 
um, and b- because it, it's a it's a, a, a condition which um, manifests itself in flare-ups we don't know when to attribute something to the condition and when to not we don't want to do a di- her a disservice by saying oh it's 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 a very tricky one for us to say well, for us to to bring up the condition that she suffers from because it might be that she was feeling fine that day and she just lost because of nothing to do with it but overall over the in the context of the last 10 years i think she's overachieved so maybe on balance she's just achieved yeah and if you're looking at if you're counting it in terms of grand slams over the last 20 years who has won more grand slams than venus williams serena I mean, yeah. she's won. That's a very good point. Yeah. She won more than Sharapova. She's got more than. I mean, maybe the same as Enan. I think maybe they've both got seven. Um, but you know, it's it's Serena who's got more. And to say that she's underachieved when she's got the second most amount of Grand Slams in the last twenty years doesn't doesn't feel right. I, I I also do feel that whenever you look at a career, you you do need to. Th- bear in mind what they do in these years where she really doesn't need to be playing the mm. sport when she's pl- she's playing several years here late 30s and chances are she isn't going to win another slam but she still goes out there i mean at the start of wimbledon i know she lost against coco got first round but she was writing tweets saying i got ants in my pants i'm so excited about playing mm. wimbledon again at the age of 39 and I don't know. I, I like I say. I remember the first U.S. Open she played in 1997, 22 years ago, mm. and she was. If somebody had told you in those first five years of her career that she'd still be playing nearly 40, when people really did, I'm afraid, sneer because she had outside interests, because she had her own clothing company because her and her sister had other business interests it really winds me up nobody ever does that about other players they always say about serena and venus williams oh well they got so many other interests uh, but they say as a negative mm-hmm. and, and it's not a negative it's a po- it shows how impressive they are that they can multitask that they've got more than just tennis and yet they are outstaying everyone in tennis mm-hmm. Perhaps because of those outside interests, as much as, you know, not in spite of them, because of them, that's what... I kind of feel there's a lot of people out there, and I'd probably include myself in this, that owe those two an apology from back then, because I'm quite sure that would have come out of my mouth 15 years ago when talking about maybe how sparingly they're playing. And, and I, 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 I cringe at that thought now. And yeah. what you were saying, Catherine, about if there was a small period of underachievement let's not forget two years ago I can't think of a season from a player in my tennis watching time that a player who has almost overachieved so much Venus reaching the Australian Open final the Wimbledon final the US Open semi-final the WTA finals final I think at 37 years Absolutely. old and which Grand syndrome yeah it was an extraordinary season I, I don't I've think forgotten that. and I don't think we give that season enough credit because Absolutely. it because it didn't end in a victory anywhere but it was a hell of a season we do it here on the tennis podcast we've just done it <laughs> <laughs> so 
So next uh, comes from Grant, who says, which player has surprised you most in 2019 in good or bad ways? Whew, there's been a lot of both. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to take the positives, David? Um, we revert to the, the mean. I feel like I... <laughs> I mean, I'll give you a little selection of people because I've done no pre-planning here at all. Um, but I'll give you... Uh, there's a few people that string, spring immediately to mind. I've, I've been very pleasantly surprised to some degree by Stefanos Tsitsipas. Not, not that he's shown a level that he's shown, but that he beat Roger Federer at the Australian Open. And then he backed it up and he kept on producing. OK, he hit a bit of a wall um, from the French Open onwards to where, where we're talking to you now around the grass season. But I think that, that that was great to see somebody just burst out of the pack of of the next gen and actually do something meaningful and do it a few times. Um, I, I think Felix Auger-Aliassime has been a real find in that, in that regard as well. Th- these are just players, I think, that are just ahead of the schedule a little as to where I thought they would be. Alexander Zverev is a massive disappointment. Massive disappointment. Um, Denis Shapovalov. Yeah, he he is disappointing. Garbini Magarutha, who we talked about in the last show, should not be in the twenties <clears throat> in the world. Arena Sabalenka. Oh, oh, that's a good one. Crikey, yeah. Really disappointing. And I and I, what worries me about her is I'm not. I mean, this is falling into the trap of reading too much into people's social media which only tells a fraction of the story but if you just go by her social media she isn't really facing up to what a catastrophe this season has been really I mean it has it has and I was aware I was prepared for a bit of a letdown after the end of that season I think we talked it in some of our podcasts at the end of the 2018 season about how frustrating it must must be for players that have a brilliant end of season and then have to have to take a break from it and they must just want to keep on going. Zverev would, I'm assuming, would absolutely fall into get that category much as I'm sure he enjoyed his holiday in the Maldives. It probably would have been best to him for him to, to press on from the OT. Not, but not that many do that well at the end of the year and then do no, really well straight away. Do they? But I would have expected Sabalenka to turn the ship around a little bit. I mean, it feels like the ship is just weighted down yes. at the moment. It's getting... Sh- yeah, it's it's getting worse, not better. What's the question again? <laughs> Players who have surprised us in good or bad ways this year. OK. So, yeah, I think Sabalenka in I a bad I had her in my way. Australian Open final. I mean, obviously, Coco Goff is a, is a great find, but actually the... I suppose the player that surprised me by just the, because I hadn't had chance to see her at this level was Bianca Andreescu. Mm. Um, and it also surprises me that we're sitting here at Wimbledon recording this, having seen her breakthrough three, four months ago, and nothing's happened since because of that awful shoulder injury that she's got. I, the thought that somebody of that age has got an injury like that, and we don't know how and when she's coming back that really really upsets me really yeah and if if we're on injury we should probably mention Del Potro yeah I actually I mean I I can barely do so without 
I mean, obviously, that, a bit upset, that's but... that's very sad. It's 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 not that much of a surprise because his body can go at any time. It's more of a surprise that Andy Murray's back, <laughs> isn't it? In a positive sense. Yeah. Come on, mm, we th- we'd you... retired yeah. him at the Australian Open. Yeah. I remember I... having the podcast after after his <laughs> first round or, or so when I was trying to say, but I, you know, I think he can get through to Wimbledon. But you did, and you said, yeah, but look, we're talking about his retirement. Regard, nothing's changed just because he's going to try to get through to the to Wimbledon. He's retiring, and we all felt the same about that. We all thought this is it. It's it's over. And it's he presented over. it as either I limp through into Wimbledon or yeah. I have this surgery and mm. it's it's retirement. And I think that's how he needed to see it at the time, right? Because that's what he said subsequently. I chose the surgeon for the hip resurfacing surgery on the basis of who was most honest yeah. with me. And I asked him before Queen's, I said, you know, you've said this about how you chose your surgeon. Does that mean you had to come to terms with the worst case scenario? And he said, the worst case scenario for me was but um, I was living it I was living the worst case scenario he, he's, he expected not to play again yeah. for sure he expected not to play again he saw taking that route as retiring and everything being a bonus and I'm sure that's an element of that is mental mind games because you have to be okay with the worst case scenario and if he'd gone into that thinking oh but maybe 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 I can come back it's not it's not the right frame of mind, is it? It's mm. not, and and you can see that from how just gleeful he is at just being pain free, because that's all he ever wanted. He and got then, to the stage where that's all he needed, yeah, was to to get rid of the pain. And then he had a chat with Bob Bryan. And <laughs> everything's fine. So, Matt, what about you? I have three players. One we've already mentioned, Zverev. I really thought something had changed at the O2 last year, but I think. I think we said it on the podcast at the O2 last year. It felt different because he'd beaten Federer and Djokovic back to back to do it. That felt so significant. That that's what we've been crying out for this whole time. Is one of those next gen to displace the current big three, and he did that at the O2 with really stunning tennis. He was exceptional in both those matches. Where has that been? And obviously he has had this whole management well, crisis. And what do you think about on. that? The fact that he is, he's latterly started being quite honest with mm. us about stuff that's going on. He talks about them. I mean, he's talk, I think in, um, in a couple of his German press conferences this, uh, at Wimbledon he was in, in, incredibly honest about the the situation that's going on with his former former manager Patricia Ape and and all the all the consequences of that he said he's having to act as as a lawyer you know he talked about his irritation that's probably an understatement at you know Washington not wanting to pay his appearance fee anymore all of that stuff he said his dad's had ill health he said he's broken up with his girlfriend etc etc how sympathetic with you how sympathetic with him are you about that? Do you think, well, that's life? Or like, you know, Federer, Nadal, Murray—they've all—they've yeah. all gone through periods where they've gone through that, and we haven't seen it reflected on the court as much as we have with you. On a or human you level, think... I feel a bit sorry for him because mm. whenever I do feel, I do, Zverev is not somebody over the years that I've really warmed to on the court, and. 
I, I haven't got hugely excited about him, to be honest. And, I, and, you know, I love it when new players come along and we can just talk about potential, etc. Maybe there's a bit of me that just heard so many people banging on about how he's going to be the next number one in the world um, that I've sort of maybe railed against that. I, I, I'm not 100% sure, but I haven't... He hasn't kind of enchanted me in the way that he plays the game either. I, I find it fairly run-of-the-mill a lot of the time. And then you see, you'll see the occasional shot, with the, the, particularly with the backhand, where you go, wow, that's amazing. And also, I quite like it when he gets the, the, the crowd involved. But I feel that there's almost been a little bit of presumption from him and everybody else that it'll just happen, almost a sort of an entitlement that I haven't always liked. But then you see, I quite like his, his bluntness in press conferences. I enjoy that. But I also see the real, or what I suspect is, is the real human behind him when he's sad and he kind of lets you he doesn't sugarcoat it he's sad and he's just sort of a kid yeah and I, and he just i do see him interviewed sometimes or give a speech on the court and i kind of want to just put my arm around him a bit mm. and just say it's all right you'll get there you'll be all right that- um and and i and I've, i yeah i do you believe that so where it comes that he'll get there and he'll be all right oh, um I'm not sure. No, I'm not sure. And and uh, as as regards the agent thing, yes, it, look, it's your own fault, really, mate. You know, you signed up to this, so I don't know the. I don't. Is know that the, true, or did you know we're talking about? I mean, uh, I believe Asak has been in a a similar situation, not quite as dramatic, but she's um, been sued by a, a former oh, coach yeah. from when she was a, a very young junior, because we're talking about deals that are done. Yes. When these people are still no, I, legally Look, I children. understand that. And we haven't seen the paperwork, so we don't know what was agreed and when, by whom, etc. We don't know all those things. Um, but look, the fact is, if what I'm saying is, if you have a contract, you have a contract. And, and so there's a degree to which you've just got to deal with it or get out of it and pay whatever it is. I don't know all the details. So... A bit of me thinks, well, that's that's black and black and white, one way or another. But yes, on a human level, I do feel a bit sorry for him, um, and I and I, I do hope that it works out because I, I'd like to see the best of him, whatever that is. Just just picking up on that point that you mentioned about kind of entitlement and that kind of thing that oh, it will happen eventually. I, I read a quite an interesting column from Tony Nadal during. Wimbledon in which he was saying that he thinks the very existence of the next gen as a concept is actually negative for them because how Nadal is that as a response to the next gen the person who never looks beyond the next point and he was saying that but by bracketing them all as this next gen that in itself was suggesting that they are the next big thing that, yeah. that they are good and that they're also necessary for the sport and he thinks that has held them back in a way and particularly something he was saying was that he thinks that they don't deal with adversary as well as Nadal yeah. Federer that generation do and that would play into this how much this management situation has affected him mm. he's, he's not able to deal with negative situations as well as the older players yeah I suppose if you do look up and every five seconds you've got an advertising campaign saying you're the next gen you are the next big thing effectively it will happen Mm. it's pretty hard to understand that actually no no 
in order for it to happen, I have to do this, 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 and this every single day of my life. Mm. And I think that we are all guilty here on the Tennis Podcast of this sometimes in uh, underappreciating just what goes in to these players producing the performances that they produce. We, we will sometimes quite, in a blasé manner, say, oh, well, he's not going to beat him because that guy always, he's, he's a great player, he always wins. It's, there is so much to the process every single day for these, these guys. Federer doesn't just turn up and just swish the ball about. I'd love to see more of it, though, because the, the, you hear so many bleak references to, to hard work, and I, I accept that on a, on, a, um, on a conceptual level. I know conceptually hard work goes into that, but until you actually see it, and taste yeah, it. They, they could do a better job of communicating that. It's, and, it's and quite hard. Federer to... doesn't really want it, people to know too too mm. many of the details. I think, and he he, he released that Luca Pui practice video, didn't he, when he was coming back? But that's kind Which of I all we ever get just, to see. I mean, I was glued. That to was that. fascinating. Absolutely glued to it. Yeah. Was that live? It was yeah. a live periscope. That yeah. He, yeah. I think he was in Dubai. Yeah. It was. It was. The, it was the end of the 2016 season, and. Okay, we talk about all that hard work, but the main thing that came across was how much fun he was having, mm. just hitting tennis balls. He was, he and he was, and he's always been like that on the practice court since he was a kid. Because mm. I've been around that, including playing with him once. Um, didn't go very well from my perspective. Um, <laughs> yeah, Gabinia Muguruza might be listening. Yeah, oh, oh yeah, Gabinia Muguruza, if you want a coach. <laughs> Honestly, it was all Federer. I mean, this was before Federer was winning slams so he was still 19 it was all he could do he was stifling laughter <laughs> Va- basically throughout I've been there Rog <laughs> <laughs> can I just say two other players who have surprised me oh yes in a negative way Angelique Kerber I think in our start of the year predictions I think I had her as finishing possibly number one I thought she was going to have a really good season because she looked so good and so fit and so strong at the start of the season in the Hotman Cup which I know maybe less <laughs> note to self don't draw conclusions from the Hotman Cup although, although there is no Hotman Cup anymore so I won't be doing that but the mixed doubles final Switzerland versus Germany and that Kerber was it's still one of the best matches I've seen this season Kerber was going toe-to-toe with Federer and I just thought she looked so good and so primed to have a good season and yet she's had these slam results where she keeps getting completely blown away Danielle Collins remember that? yeah mm. and it's, it keeps it was Potapova in Roland Garros and she keeps just getting blown off the court and I didn't expect that but then in a good way Ash Barty I mean Ugh, yeah. I, I know David predicted her to win a slam but that which was a which not was at year's start, not at year's start and, and I felt like she made such significant progress listen to this <laughs> can't even give me the credit for that but don't you think she made such significant progress through the first yes. three months of this year that she put herself in a position where that was a plausible prediction and she's backed it up and more than plausible <laughs> and Ash Barty is number one. I mean, we wouldn't have thought that six that, months ago. Actually, you know we what? We really that, wouldn't. That's probably the biggest surprise, yeah. isn't it? Let's be honest. Because that has come out of 
more or less nowhere. I I only thought she was going to win a Grand Slam when I saw her. I th- think maybe is on the Miami? clay. Mm. Uh, actually, she was coming out of Miami onto the clay, and I just felt like all the components mm. now were in place. And she'd had a couple of she'd had a good Fed Cup, hadn't she? Where she just sort of propelled Australia yeah. through and shown that grit and that determination. That's that's what I always thought was missing from Ash Barty. That kind of match toughness in a way she's always had the nice game but mm. now she's able to back it up with a winning formula as well yeah yeah time for one more question matt okay they fly by these yeah. don't they okay Choose carefully so let's go with this one tab farmer which i think i'm guessing is a username was on instagram and wants to know have David and Catherine ever had a proper falling out? I mean, well, when, yes. did we, when did we meet? <laughs> 12 years ago? Uh, 2007. Yeah, 12 years Queens, ago. Queens, 2007. Yeah. I had braces. Yeah, correct. I had brown hair. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the days. Um, have we, we've, we've had some absolutely fantastic <laughs> rows um, about... Well, all manner of things. Uh, we have argued a lot over the last <laughs> decade. Um, on air what, and off. WhatsApp yes. has not been a... I mean, in many ways, a brilliant invention, but also... <laughs> there, there, are some, there are some quite sensational periods of silence on WhatsApp, which will, which are probably the, the climax of a row when we've definitely gone at a good 24, 36 hours where nobody has replied. And uh, and then it it certainly feels to me like it's a kind of staring out contest to see who's going to look away first and give in. It definitely helps now that we have a group WhatsApp that Matt as moderator is part of, yeah. don't you think? Yes. Is it? Although is it, you are fantastically good at silence. <laughs> Matt just at suddenly, keeping out. Of, oh, I sense danger. <laughs> there was one. There was one where there. Where just I mean, it was. I don't even remember what the subject was, but I just remember one thing flared up. It really flared up, and, and Matt, who'd been a perfectly nice, kind of jovial part of the conversation, just suddenly disappeared from it. <laughs> And these, <laughs> these messages were flying backward and forwards with, with just great ferocity. And neither one of us was uh, prepared to give way at all. <laughs> and that, I guess, was just a sort of viewer. It's great <laughs> entertainment. <laughs> yeah, I just see it. I get, I get a front row seat. To... <laughs> and, then, and then what happens in the WhatsApp group now, which never used to happen, is at some point we get so exasperated with one another that we'll say Matt what do you think yeah and then I yeah. and then I'm forced to give an opinion on something with, and, knowing that one of them is going to be incredibly upset about whatever I say and, and, he, and he'll give the most non-commissioned <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah you do a s- splendid job of just kind of slightly calming it down um, yeah we've had we've had some some big debates have we ever had any massive falling out no well, well, you said that an argument was the genesis of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yes, in two thousand eight. Uh, I mean, it, was, well it took me. four years. It took four years for it to become the podcast from this moment. But uh, I, just, I mean, you know, Catherine was my intern at back then in the second year of uh, her career, and she was still at university. And uh, we, we were in the 
in the Queen's Bar group of us and we were talking about, I don't even know what, Roger Federer came up and Catherine said something about Federer being, un, I think, unrelatable and being too perfect and having no um, sort of... Almost as though you were saying that he wasn't, he didn't have a human side to it. Well, like what my brother reminded me of on the uh, anniversary of Federer Roddick the other day. He just doesn't need it, Matt. Yes. So that we, was how I used to feel about Federer. Yeah, he so doesn't this is need it. 2008 when he was, you know, pretty much at his dominant best. Admittedly, he had just had that French Open final, but that—that's what Catherine was getting at. And I, and I, of course, had seen uh, a couple of years earlier. Federer sobbing on the shoulder of Rod Laver, which I, I found one of the most moving images in tennis that I'd ever seen. Um, and, and, and equally, and I know this sounds terrible because A, it's name dropping and B, it's, oh, well, I know him. I, I hate that sort of stuff. But the fact is I did know him or I had had an experience with him in his early career and I knew what I was talking about and she wouldn't have it. So I was going to make sure... She bloody well did have it, uh, the full details, uh, which she didn't know 100% all the details about. I'd had a couple of drinks, so I made sure she she was told. Um, But afterwards, as... as Made sure she was told. (laughs) Brutal. I know it sounds terrible, but... I hadn't had the pleasure of getting to know Roger Federer. No, but but it didn't stop you telling me exactly what was what at the time so um i decided to um give you the facts uh, or at least my experience of the, of, of the person that i knew and uh I still stomped up the stairs a year later yeah. during the product one but after, final. after that and, and since that i yeah i did think actually as as angry as i was that was quite entertaining <laughs> So I there we think are. I realised how angry you were. No, I mean I, that, that that's probably the most angry I'd you I'd ever been with you at that point. Right. So I'm over it now. <laughs> Five hundred and sixty-seven episodes later. Eleven years later. Goodness. I mean, I'm I'm still cringing. And and now when I now when I watch that, in obviously you know hindsight's a wonderful thing and context is everything, nuance is everything. But when I now watch the YouTube clips of the crying on Rod Laver's shoulder thing, obviously I tear up within a split second and my bottom lip's going and I can't make it through any of it. And, yeah. That was the bit that was winding me up, is because there was publicly available evidence and you, you wouldn't accept it. So I was just going on about it until you did. And eventually I won. So, um, yeah. Uh, and then I'm starting to feel tension like we get in the WhatsApp <laughs> <Yeah>. group. <laughs> Did you notice why Catherine didn't answer that? She yeah. just sort of looked at you. Sometimes sometimes now I get ri- not at not at David at all, but I just like I unleash my rage at something external on the WhatsApp group. And I know what's happened is that David has texted Matt separately and said, Don't respond to her, Matt. It's moth to a flame. Don't. <laughs> just just let her simmer for a while. I know what's happened. It's out of a system. It's all right. <laughs> Just put your phone it all away. goes really quiet, and I'm like, oh, I thought I made a really good point there. I thought, <laughs> I thought this would stoke up some really great conversation. Yeah. I thought a lot I'd... of the time we don't understand it, <laughs> or I don't anyway. <laughs> She's a bit cleverer than me. Um, so, yeah, we we well, how many episodes have we done? Five hundred and sixty <laughs> odd. Um, so I guess we we get on right. 
most of the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, so uh, anyway, Shall we wrap it up. Yeah, okay, with, on that note, um, we will bring an, uh, a conclusion to the 566th episode of the Tennis Podcast, or whatever it is, and the Tennis Podcast in general. Uh, has come to a close <laughs> after eight years of production <laughs> and uh, Catherine and I I was just getting started can finally go and talk to people we want to talk to no uh, we get along famously most of the time as does Matt with us um, and thank you Alex for your questions thank you all for listening thank you Alex for your support uh, to our Kickstarter uh, in December that has enabled us to produce as many shows as we have over the course of 2019 to date we have not finished yet folks we will be weekly throughout the year up until the US Open then we'll be daily throughout the US Open of course and uh, we've got some other plans as well for the autumn when we we really want to keep pushing as much as we can and produce as many shows as we can and then in December we'll be crowdfunding for 2020 once again we have a little list uh, that you can join up to if you want to have a reminder on December the 1st when we are uh, running our Kickstarter to crowdfund 2020 so it's in the show notes to this show so just uh, scroll down and you can press on that if you want to get it'll only be a single email you won't get spam loads unless you're on the newsletter in which case you will get a daily news newsletter every day throughout the US Open which will include our predictions uh, as if you haven't had enough of them and uh, Matt Stat. but uh, this has been the Tennis Podcast brought to you in association with The Telegraph executive produced by TennisBalls.com and with our mascot Rio with a Y we'll see you next week Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market